I am adding a disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast. The audio quality of this episode is not what you might usually expect from past shows. When you're dealing with multiple guests in different locations, not all factors are under my control. However, I believe if you bear with it, the content is exceptional. And welcome to the gray area where I dispense advice and give interviews on relationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray and this is the sixth podcast in a weekly series titled The Grandfather Clause. Last week's episode was a discussion with Dragonitis about keeping in touch across continents. Please visit my Facebook page, The Gray Area, to add to this forum discussion and to tell me your story. This week, we meet River, who was an avid EverQuest player in the past, and a current World of Warcraft player who is looking forward to moving into Rift in the future. Eram slash Martin is in the same situation and brings his prior gaming experience to the table for us today. Wemmick is a former guide, about the equivalent of a current GM, in the original EverQuest, and he plays World of Warcraft also. Welcome guys, and this promises to be very interesting. River, let's begin with you. I've, I've only briefly seen EQ, but I've never really been a player on that. Uh, but I understand it's kind of the forerunner in 1999 for the style that we currently see in many MMOs now. Um, can you tell me how you got involved with that and why you became a player in the first place? Um, sure. So, um, as you mentioned, EQ it was one of the very first games of its kind. It was, uh, at the time, a superly elegant game. It was um, one of the first sort of graphics-based, um, you know, dungeon games that, that people could play. And I believe that uh, a group of us sort of um, got together, bought the game. We're talking about it because we were, we were text-based um, players. We played text-based uh, computer games where uh, all of the... Um, like a of, mud? It was a mud, yeah. Ah. And, and it, was, um, it was really RP, role-playing, sorry, I don't want to use acronyms, but role-playing uh, games all based in, in text, so you would type emotions, you would type feelings, you would type actions, and this was so exciting to all of us because you could actually have a tune, an avatar, and you could create the avatar to look the way you wanted it to, and you could you could have it move around, and you didn't have to say, you know, river runs down the <laughs> down the path, or river charges the hobgoblin. You know, it's, <laughs> you know it was a, it was very exciting for us. So we we got involved in, uh, in as a group, and um, most of the folks that played. Um, one of the, 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 the earlier text-based games that I was mentioning to you was called Gemstone 3. A group of us all went into EQ together. It seems like to me, what I've been reading, that it seems like a natural progression to that because EQ is one of those rare games that you can kind of pick, you know, a patron deity, you can pick the classes that you don't see a lot, like dragons and uh, dragonkin, I think, and there's some sort of cat people and some of the things that, you know, I don't think have really been done by any other games since then. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I could see if you came from a mud background that that, that would be kind of a next step. Do you still play EQ, the original? Uh, actually, I have recently um, logged back into EQ1, the original, and um, I would say that it, it is not how I remember it to be. It is a lot more difficult um, from a UI perspective. It is clunky to the extent that, you know, I. <laughs> The UI is not at all um, intuitive, and so I had a rough time. I don't know whether or not I will stay, you know, going back into it every once in a while just to keep up on things. But okay. um, I understand this is the 17th expansion now. I think it's the House of Thule or something like that. But that's a yeah, lot of expansions. They just released like their 18th. They just released their 18th this past week. Okay, uh, that's right. Not the Scars of Velius. Actually, I think it is Scars of Velius. Wemmick, I know you like the traditional mud games, and we were just talking about that a little bit. Um, and we also play Dungeons and Dragons together, so I know you like that. Um, did those things influence your taking the next step into a game like this? How did you end up getting involved? 
where I came from was the other cousin of MUDs called Mushes, uh, multi-user shared hallucinations, and oh. mine in particular was Amber Mush, and it's a mush based off of uh, Roger Zelazny's Amber series, and it was make your own areas in terms of coding. You were given a certain budget of code, and you could go in using various now archaic uh, uh, commands go in and create a world that other people could then visit. You could code in powers, you could code in uh, somebody walks in from a certain exit, the wind would rustle across the floor. Uh, you could have multiple descriptions. Everything was text-based, but it allowed you that little bit of deeper immersion that had a sense of permanence because in a D&D &D game, sure you've got your notes from the last session, sure you've got your memories, but this is something that you can have someone come in and you could do a whole roleplay scene with. So when I was playing uh, this in college along with uh, Cryptomancer, he was getting more and more into the coding side of mushes. I was getting more into the RP side and we were in downtown Chicago and happened into uh, I think it was EB Games or uh, back in that day it was Electronic Boutique. Okay. So it's, it's their proper old title. And we ran into this box that had a you know, picture of a dark elf and something else on it. And I think I completely ignored everything else aside from the dark elf and went, ooh, what's that? Because uh, I had played Wasteland on the PC. I had played Bard's Tale on the PC, these early generation role-playing games. So I was always on the lookout for that. And so we both picked up a copy it was an enjoyable thing to suddenly find on screen this uh, world where it, they're talking about you can play online. You know, at this point, the most I'd ever done really online, aside from Mushes, was Meridian 59 on AOL or CompuServe, where it was five, six dollars an hour to have uh, the ability to play. But to suddenly log in have an account be playable on a modem this hugely graphical game for the time mm -hmm. where there were such things as night vision where there were things as factions where there were these things as you know what this city looks somewhat like a drow city from D&D &D. It's dark, it's stone, but there's these glyphs all over the place. You know, it was the first time I was seeing neon okay. in a computer game. It was the computer actually struggling to process what is being sent because it's never seen that code before. So you're saying you're recognizing some of the images that you're seeing in this game as being from some of the previous things you've played and kind of been influenced by that world that you're reading about in your in your text-based games? Well, there's there's something recently that I heard that kind of made sense. You know, there's nothing really that's innovative anymore. The last really innovative people were the cavemen painting on walls. <laughs> Everything else is a derivative of this thing. So you read through um, Pit of the Slave Drivers or Temple of Elemental Evil or any of your D&D campaigns, along with other science fiction books or role-playing books or you know, fantasy books, you get these pictures in your head of, you know what, that really sounds kind of dwarfish. If someone says, you know, that's dwarfish, what do you think? A lot of stone, something heavy. You get these kind of flavors in your mind. Somebody says, Dark Elf, well, you think sneaky, you think, okay, you know, a lot of magic. Okay, well, walking into Narak, I think was the name of the city in EverQuest, they plunk you down, they don't, you know, they didn't have a map function at that point in time. They had something called sense direction as a skill. It might be able to tell you what direction you that. were. You know, you might know what direction you're facing, but you had no idea. It was now you, literally, level one, naked to the world. If something comes by, a stiff breeze, you don't know if it's going to kill you. And you're honestly afraid to take that first step, but you want to take that first step because you don't know, are you going to fall through the world? Or, you know, is there a trap there? You know, that's an interesting concept, too, because... Um... If you remember back in the, the, the first days of EQ, you, you had to train up in almost all of your skills. So your sense direction 
you never really knew if you were heading true north until you hit something like a 75 in sense direction or some you know nonsense like that i don't remember what the numbers were but you had to continually mash down on this you know sense direction button until you got to a skill that was high enough to actually know whether you were going true north or not what? okay uh martin we haven't heard a lot from you yet um can you tell how you came about to be a player and some of maybe your experiences that you want to share well i lived in a house in southern california at the time when bachelor pad with a bunch of us guys and they all played and i did not i was in the military at the time and then uh I had some time on my hands. I had an injury when I was in the service, so they, uh, my buddies said, hey, you know, you're sitting around not being able to do anything for a bit. Why don't you try this? <laughs> so that uh, was my uh, foray into uh, EQ. And this was, the game was still very, very new at this point. Okay. Uh, it had been out maybe six months. One of our buddies was quitting. He was moving and going back to school and doing a bunch of other stuff. So he gave me his account. And I, I assumed it and started going from there. I took his character from obscurity to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to fame and renown, is that what you're saying? Well, we were... All right. I was in a very elite guild for a while. Um, they were called Enlightened Dark. They were like one of the top EQ guilds in all of the EQ realms. Ah, is this one of those, uh, it's 1.45 a.m. and you're getting a phone call because the boss has popped and and you need to get on right now? Like, is that the level of dedication you're talking about, or? They didn't have to make phone calls. Everybody knew what time things were gonna be out. You were just on. Ah, okay. <laughs> How many people were in this, in this guild? Um, I'd say we were probably 80-some in the guild strong, but we were, our core base was at least 60 hard raiders. And, um, boy, I we were in, I don't know, there was I mean, like, you needed at least that at EQ. For, I mean, the raids at EQ, especially the higher-end content that Enlightened Dark was hitting. There um, were 40. Yeah, it was 40-plus in order to really accomplish, you know, what you needed to accomplish. Wimick was telling me that uh, in EQ, it's a lot different than kind of some of the more modern MMOs like World of Warcraft, where you know you can clear all the trash up to the end boss and still lose the kill because someone else comes in and they're able to take it. So it's not like a personal private dungeon. Is that is that your experience? Uh, yeah, EQ was not what we're known as is today as instance. Um, everything was a world um, mob. Anybody who was around could get on it. Um, so yes, that was the case. They did start instancing later because you had guilds like Enlightened Dark. Dark. <laughs> <laughs> they would some of these mobs you had to get them to, and they would drop a piece of a key or something like that to unlock another realm. Or they were progression. They were progression bosses. Uh, like I see. kill one boss to progress to the next area or next level or there was specific gear that that boss dropped that was almost impossible to go on to the harder content without your your tanks getting those few items because it really pushed them over the limit so you're, also... you're telling me you're, you're camping this boss and keeping some of the lower levels is that what you're trying to tell me martin um, it wasn't camping <laughs> It was, well, more like, quote. It, was, it was more like blocking other guilds and um, and other players from actually reaching that content. In fact, Enlightened Dark was was known for um, you know messaging in their guild whenever they had people that were that were um, sort of like um, sentinels. They'd go out and they'd be you know looking around to see what mobs were up every day, and they would go out and they check it. And if there was some huge boss that happened to spawn, if the, if the servers went down or there was a reset or whatever, something was off time. They would go and they would they would call the entire guild and they you know through guild messaging of course and within five or ten minutes right the entire guild would show up at that spot and nobody's guild could could get together like enlightened dark could there's also in some cases there was content that could only be killed once on the entire server ever such as there was one boss called the sleeper and the sleeper was awoken it was this really <laughs> cool kind of glass dragon it would it's go out wipe the world, but you would never again have the sleeper as a transitional mob. So that that was that was big. But at the time nobody knew 
what technology needed to be there for this instancing. They were having enough, Sony was having enough issues to trying to keep the server up. There, you know, there were some guilds that were specializing in doing things that would knock the server down because when the server came back up, the mobs would respawn, including the bosses. So you go in, you kill something, you kill the server, you come back up, you're already there, kill the boss. You know, there was this, this whole pattern of technology. This thing was so far out <laughs> in front. That... I'm sure that that is in the long, long list of things that I agree to every time I, I click accept. I'm sure there's something about... about <laughs> and user know, licensing agreements. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm sure you that's know, not legal. It, it, and, it, and it wasn't it wasn't legal, but when you run into a game where it is you walk out and purchase Dragon Age and you sit down at your computer and you load Dragon Age up and you're playing Dragon Age, it's you versus the computer. You may find a bug and you go look it up and you'll be like, oh yeah, the developer knows about that, they're going to handle that in the next you patch. You may find a tilde. When suddenly you don't necessarily have shards, you've got a couple worlds, but when you populate this with the most number of gamers that have ever existed in one realm, you know, they're going to find every little nuance. WoW's warden system that runs behind the scenes whenever you play WoW that looks for all this stuff mm -hmm. is a response to some of the lessons learned from EverQuest, uh, Anarchy Online, Arshram's Call, all these old... I'm actually surprised at that because I, I have had incidences where things have been, um, people have had accounts that were hacked and vice versa, and it's been explained to me that every item that's taken from a hacked account or sold from a hacked account can't just be restored, it has to be tracked to its original person, and all of the uh, transitions that it's gone through during that time have to be made right, as in, uh, if somebody sold a weapon, they sharded a weapon and they sold the shard in the auction house, and someone used that shard to create a new, a new item, that shard has to be removed from the current item that was created, it has to be disassembled, the uh, component parts have to be given back to that character, the auction house has to be reimbursed, that shard has to be taken out of the auction house, and, and kind of an extensive system. So I'm surprised if, if World of Warcraft does something like that, where it will actually go to that much trouble that uh, EQ wouldn't just say, you know, well, I'm sorry, everyone that plays, you can blame, you know, uh, Eram slash Martin's killed for for shutting down the server. That you know, there's another thing there too, though. I mean, that's also um, that's a coding issue, right? Like, so in other words, that's all database structure in the back end. How they're going to trace those things? You know, if they if they not to get into techie talk, but if they were to to create these things with unique identifiers, which most people do, most most back end games have these things as unique identifiers. You can trace those unique identifiers and figure out where they come from as to how they decompose things and how complicated they get. I can't speak to that. You know, there's there's always a way to track what goes on. I mean, they're logging all of these things and they all have um, unique identifiers for all the different parts and pieces so they can see where it goes. It's just a kind of a pain to, to walk through the steps because there's a lot of information and a lot of data and to track all that stuff and to look to, as to where it goes is time consuming at, at best. Oh, I agree. I'm, I'm surprised so, they don't just uh, restore, you know, create a new item, give it to that person who lost the item and just call it a wash. But I've been told it's something like, a, what was it, inflation or, or some sort of... Because, you know, this, this is part of the reason why whenever um, games offer free game time or the clients go on sale, the clients are never free for the base subscription to WoW because they don't want the spammers to come on and get, you know, all these free accounts and start doing duping and everything else like that. There's always got to be some degree of paid to play with. I see. You know, and, and to try and keep that level of effort that they have to do on their side to a minimum. So that way, when someone actually does come in and says, hey, I have had a problem, the GMs can go and work on that without having to deal with, you know, 30,000 other. Tell me a, a little bit about being a GM, speaking about that. Um, I know you were, I think it's called a guide on EverQuest. How did you become that, first of all? How did you get to be one of the lucky few? I was pretty much a player that uh, followed the rules. And they had um, notices that would go out um, for test events. And they had, you know, this, this was a game that actually inspired the use of a test server. 
and so I got into one of their... Like a beta, you mean? There's the beta servers, but then there's the, here's the content we're working on way down the line, or here's the feature that we'd like to tweak, you know, we want to be able to change hair colors. So they've got kind of a sandbox, they had a sandbox server that, you know, never showed up in the realm list. If you got invited to it, or, you know, you were submitting bug reports, you know, I would submit bug reports, other people would, and sometimes you'd get an invite. What you did in the sandbox would be observed and monitored, and, you know, they'd tell you that they were logging everything. So eventually, over a period of time of being told, hey, here's some level of dependability from this player, one of the GMs would kind of whisper you, or one of the community service people would whisper you and say, hey, we've looked over your account, are you interested in trying to help the community a little bit more? This was all kind of back-channel stuff until eventually, later on, it became something where, you know, they would post on their official forums and they would have an application, but the original application for being a guide was you went in and did all this stuff. And then they would give you a special accounts, you'd be under NDAs and certain other things, and basically told that you are monitored anytime that you log in to this uh, account, and then you would be sent off to do tasks, be it answer tickets or help with events or um, my favorite, conduct weddings. <laughs> really? Or, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where some people were really good answering tickets, other people would be really good with roleplay, but you all kind of chipped in and did different things. And, you know, there were different levels of being a guide, but where you got sent to was always somewhere different than where you played. So there would never be a conflict time of interest. A, a conflict of interest where, you know, I'm a guide, there's Erom with Enlightened Dark, rated with Enlightened Dark before, so... You want to make sure that boss is next, a little less uh, difficult yeah, than he you know, might otherwise be. A little be. less difficult, or he's there, or gosh, Enlightened Dark has had really a hard time with the rabbit bunny fluffiness of Doom mob. Suddenly they're able to get it down. Oh, it's because they're friends with a green name. Guides and GMs in EverQuest have green names to set them apart. Well, that's and everyone's sure favorite pet peeve, you know. Um, well, we're having trouble in this particular instance or this particular whatever area. It must be because a GM hates us. Or how, how directly involved do the guides or the GMs actually get in people's play experience? I don't know how much you had to deal with it on your side, but uh, we had... They never meant anything harder on us. But since we were usually the, the forefront on taking down the newest content, um, sometimes a hint or two might get dropped our direction. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Like, Eram's uh, giant glowing arrow pointed to the north. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, since we don't play anymore, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, it was once in a blue moon if we were beating our heads against walls. Um, Somebody may or may not come along and give us a hint about, you know. But didn't you get that on the test server? Like, didn't Enlightened Dark have a um, have a guild on the test server? Yeah. And you had to get, log into the test server because... Um, we were one of the few guilds. They they ported a, a, a running snapshot of all of our characters to the test server in EQ. So we knew we would go and run on the, the new bosses ahead of time. So you would already have the uh, strategies down... Well, it, it's it's sort of yeah. it's sort of like now with WoW, with Insidia, Insidia and Vodka and all those other guilds, they're doing the same things. But one of the fun parts of watching this new content, the guides would not be the ones that would drop the hints. But you have to understand that when Enlightened Dark is fighting, Enlightened Dark is never a guild like Enlightened Dark, and I'm probably the Insidias now. We're never alone. Like I would be there during some fights. And you would have 12, 13, 14, 15 other people invisible and untargetable, and you can't tell that they're there. Mm -hmm. um, GMs, developers, coders, doing hotfixes on the fly for the encounter while the guilds are actually doing this thing. And guides generally weren't allowed to go into the most recent content. Uh, or the top tier because they didn't want that level of um, information spillage seeping backwards. 
But there were times where if we had the blessing of our overall server GM, if your server GM was like mine was really, really good. And um, basically, as long as you weren't causing problems, she gave a free run of the server. So she would occasionally invite us to come in and watch these guilds do things. There were times where probably she would get the okay to give um, on, on the guild that I was, um, the super guild that was on the server that I was on um, as a guide was called Silent Redemption. And I'm sure Silent Redemption got some info and tips every once in a while and stuff like that. But there, there were times that the content was so new and bleeding edge and again, it had been tested by a couple people, the, the dev GMs, that when you got 40 people beating on it in a raid environment, you find something new. Well, one of the members of Silent Redemption found something on the boss encounter that caused, um, there was a stacking uh, damage debuff. Mm -hmm. Well, they somehow managed to, instead of stacking the debuff up, stack the debuff in reverse. Well, what happens when you get to zero, it flips over to, you know, 6,000, whatever the, 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 the string is, but it's this like 65,000 number that they had coded in thinking that, okay, well, we'll just put a theoretical cap because someone will be dead by debuff 20 or 36 or whatever. So suddenly the counter gets flipped back. This massive debuff happens. The entire raid wipes the dungeon wipes because the the code infected all the way back out but also killed every single gm and guy that technically had a vulnerability <laughs> tag in there because suddenly we took this massive number that the server had no idea what to do deal with and killed everything so suddenly there's all silent redemption dead there's all the mobs dead and then there's all these green corpses around kind of going hmm interesting good test yeah, you know, and we didn't have uh, Ventrilo or TeamSpeak <laughs> or anything else at this point in time, so everything was text-based. Oh so over the GM chat, we're just kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we would we would come in, and I know that there were times where I was instructed for an encounter. Um, Silent Redemption would go in, they would encounter a bug, they would get wiped. I would be allowed to teleport into where they were. I had the ability to resurrect people without um, experience or uh, uh, equipment loss because in EverQuest, if you died, you took a massive experience penalty that you had to pay back before you could get more experience. So anytime that there was a bug, a GM res was, you know, like liquid gold. Okay, but so we there is never... some involvement. There is some involvement. A little more than you might assume would be. I think it was done extremely ethically. So if we can get a guild that is dependable, can do the content without us having to sit there and kill everything, then, you know, that was a benefit to the game. Sure, it enabled guilds like Silent Redemption or Yiram's um, guild to maintain a lead, but the lead was more what their skill, what their level could do. And could they have beaten the content if everything had been perfect? Yes. But if they really stepped in it and fell through the world, literally that was the game's solution to everything. If something went bad, it either killed you or you fell through the world, and then you still died. <laughs> I haven't heard a whole lot from uh, you, River Iram, about if you guys have played together in EverQuest. I mean, were you both in the same guild at any point, or do you play completely separately and didn't know each other at that point? Well, actually, um, we did know each other, but, you know, Eron was a little too buku for me. So, uh, his EP. so he, he was in Enlightened Dark, and I was in one of those guilds that kept getting blocked from getting to the, uh, to the high-end content. No, <laughs> it, it's true, but we really, we really did not play a lot together until sort of the end of um, EQ1 sort of timeline, when everything started breaking down, and they, they were shutting down servers, and so they were taking whatever population was left on you know, older, older, older servers and, you know, kind of combining them onto the new, newer servers they created or, or were putting together for EQ1. But they were really trying to shut down EQ1 and, and push everybody into EQ2. Okay. So um, I would say probably for like about the last year or so of, of EQ1's, you know, incredible popularity before it all sort of really kind of closed down. That's, that's really the time that we played together a little bit. 
I was in Enlightened Dark for all of maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> and then I, I really stopped playing because I had gone over to WoW and, and um, you know, it was just so much easier. Seth hit on a lot of things that were really, I think, interesting and important about EQ. And, you know, and I, I just want to recap on a couple of items and, you know, you can jump in at any time. But EQ was the type of game that you could spend hours and hours and hours working on content and it would take you lengthy amounts of time to gain levels and to gain experience but you could die and the penalties were so heavy that you could die once and lose uh, you know like three quarters of the work that you had spent eight hours in a day doing so i mean it was it was a it was really a very very um good game for all of us to kind of start out with because it taught you the value of not dying and it taught you the value of you know, learn what your character's you know, capabilities are and understand those capabilities and get good at using them or get dead and you're, you know, you're just not, you're going to have a frustrating experience. It's such a contrast because on one hand, there's only one of, you know, this boss, the entire world, and you have to be sort of bold to, to strike out and try to get him. And on the other hand, if you fail, the penalties are just so severe that it's almost not worth it. It's, it's such a dichotomy of do you just go for it and know that you're going to pay, or do you just hold back and be more conservative and try to preserve your points? That's the funny thing. I don't think anybody would have told you it's not worth it. I think now, after we've been exposed to games like WoW and other things like that, where the, um, the penalties are not as severe, I would say, wow, I'm never going to spend a weekend sitting at the computer waiting for everybody to get together so that we can do a raid crack out the entire weekend on WAP, excuse me, on EQ and, you know, marathon it. I would never do that again. Looking back in perspective, if you had a raid group and you were the rogue, you showed up as the rogue time after time after time after time. There wasn't this concept of, oh, I will have alts and therefore, you know, this alt is going to come this day because, well, you know, we need that. Everyone would have to show where the raid wouldn't go out. Alts came around because of the fact that you know you had died so much that you got you just realized that you weren't going to get out of that that XP bunker. You just didn't have the ability at that weekend to do that. So, so maybe you started you go, a new character to try to to do something while you waited. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know, just 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 to get that feeling of accomplishment. You know that you're still moving forward. Your other character is on pause because it's going to take you two days to get out of that XP hole, and then before you get a new XP uh, point one. So you would go and make an alt just to hear the ding and <laughs> okay. feel like, okay, you've accomplished something just because you've heard the ding. It was like Pavlov's <laughs> dog. If you heard a ding, you were happy. Erica, what were some of the other points that you were trying to kind of sum up? Well, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I think that EQ in its day and, and age really was a very elegant game. It was the first game, and Seth brought this up some time ago, but it was a it was the first game that basically threw you out there in the middle of this huge world and they gave you no clues. Basically they said, here you are, welcome to our world, figure it out. And you literally would lose your, your, um, all your inventory if you didn't loot your body within, you know, seven days. Like in other words, you, you'd have to go and run and find your body. And if you were lost in the middle of some high end zone and, you know, you would you, were, you get into this death loop of dying every single time you did a corpse run. You'd be asking Peter, I'm going to come drag you across. That's the right. <laughs> you would send tells to your friends if you, you know, if you had high end friends and you'd be like, please come and, you know, drag my corpse. Help me find my body. Do, do, you, yeah. do you have a monk or a rogue? Because if you had a monk or a rogue that could do a corpse run, especially a multiple multi-juggle, um, where you would, if you were the non-rogue observingness or the or the non-monk, you would actually see all these corpses flying through the air in like this constellation pattern as this monk would either be fenge deathing on and off to bring all these corpses together or you had a very <laughs> stealthy rogue that knew where to find the path to get back out. But they would be dragging 40 people along like it was nobody's business and that was awesome. Iram, are, are you... A rogue? It sounded like you were saying you were doing the corpse drag. No, I was the important class. I was a priest. A priest. Ah, keep them from having to do the corpse drag. <laughs> I see. Oh, <laughs> well, actually, his there were there were EQ 
very late in the game came out with these um, alternative advancement points, alternate advancement points. And Hiram happened to be, you know, a, a really well put together tune. I mean, he was rolled well. <laughs> Ooh, she said he were rolled well and put together. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was all on, on a numbering system, and and um, he had he had great numbers, and he also had you know fantastic ability to to get these um, with with enlightened dark. They did so much stuff that you you could once you hit the, the level cap, you could turn all of your experience to getting alternate advancement points as your experience. That's like a talent, the version of talents. Is that right? Exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, he he was you know. At some point, I think he had like over a thousand or two thousand alternate advancement points, and I mean, you know, his cleric was literally could do rogue and monk and whatever you want could tank things. I mean, it was insane, you know, all the abilities that he had. So it sounds like, and I know the people that created the original EverQuest are a lot of the people that are kind of uh, the designers behind the new game Rift. I mean, that sounds like very familiar to me what you're saying now because it seems like Rift is very similar with the concept of souls and um, you know being able to have different kind of classes not just in a cutter mold you know it's if you're talking about alternate advancement and you can you're saying that one character can do the, all those things or yeah well and the other interesting thing about about Rift because um, you know I play that now as well and it, the thing that I really enjoy about Rift is that they give you a whole lot of customization options like you have eight different styles of warrior and eight different styles of healer and eight different styles of rogue and eight different styles of casting classes and they, they give you a talent tree page much like how WoW has it set up except for that you can choose between three different quote-unquote souls and you can put these three souls together. So there are eight types or eight souls per different class. So for a warrior, you might have um, something like a, uh, a warlord, which is a tanking class, or a beast master, or a champion, or a rift blade, or, or a paladin. Um, and all of these different souls, you know, can be put together three at a time for what's called a specialization. So I could have a soul specialization that's basically all offensive tanking or all defensive tanking or a combination of, of the two with different roles. I can have a pet as a tank, um, you know, or as a warrior. I mean, Do you they, have, like in World of Warcraft, where you have like one set of talent points and you can, you have a second set, you can switch between the two. Do you do that in Rifts as well? You yeah, can. you can actually create, you can, and that's exactly right, and you can create, you know, different abilities based on the talent tree that you select that you activate so it's like a, it's like um you know specialization like in, in, in world of warcraft they have dual specializations ah. they actually have like tri specializations i think they even have four maybe um different opportunities in um in rift to have four different specializations so you will never again have a 10 man where you say oh i really need a ranged and i you know there's just no one available that's arranged that's correct now on you will have all the options in one character practically that is correct and they actually gave people the opportunity to have a healing class as a warrior excuse me a healing specialization so you could take something that has a healing specialization you could take something that has um you know a, a a, um, a ranged, you could do something that's casting. I mean, they've given all of, and even clerics, you know, for the cleric role, they allow the clerics to have a, a specialization that's a tanking, you know, I mean, it, along with their healing, they can cast, they can have, you know, magical sort of boom, boom, like a mage or a warlock, mm -hmm. but it's, they've done a really good job of allowing people to customize sort of the tune that they want to play. And I, I think that it keeps you from getting bored. I do wonder, though, how one would handle the loot concept, because usually, I mean, ev even among the classes that you have now in World of Warcraft, where, you know, hey, we have two rogues, one's a combat rogue, one's an assassination rogue, so hey, if a dagger drops, we're pretty clear about who's going to get that. I mean, when you're talking about Rift, where everybody is, you know, all the classes practically, how would you ever decide who is going to need a particular item at a given time? That could get very nasty. Right, so you know that the thing that Rift does that I find um, kind of exceptional, actually, as a as a game, is that um, whenever you complete a quest, every um, one of the three types of classes gets an opportunity to choose an item. So it's not like wow, where you know you could be a um, a mage and everything is plate, chain, or leather, and you can never wear it. So you just yes. basically have to sell that item. 
you get an opportunity to get, um, you know, item upgrades or really cool upgrades um, for every class, which I think is just fantastic. It's something that really, I think, was well thought out in the game. Additionally, uh, one of the things about Rift that I, that I just love is um, this thing that I heard um, was, a, was a, a takeaway from another game from Warhammer, which is this idea, this concept of group raids. So you could be running around in the world in Rift and all of a sudden, you know, a, a, a planar shift happens and a rift opens up and there's a tear in the I universe. I do love that. I love right. that. It's fantastic. And you just, you know, at the top of your screen, join public group pops up and you can click on it. And all of a sudden you're in a group with a bunch of other people and you're, you know, being able to down mobs, like huge mobs, elite mobs that you would never be able to do with your own group. And you're, everybody is getting, you know, loot, depending on how much damage you've done, depending on how much healing you've done, you know, which mobs you actually targeted and killed, how long have you been involved in the raid, how many, you know, rifts have you shut down, mm -hmm. and the, the, the amount of, of um, sort of reward comes based on, you know, how much you've invested into the actual raid itself. So I think they've got a great system for, for determining loot, and I think they've got a great system for actually giving loot out, and, and they offer different ways you can craft. They have crafting. Um, you could be a, 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 um, a leather worker. You can be a, you know, a, a, what do you call it, a metal worker. So you can be a blacksmith, and you can create weapons. You can create plate and chain mail. I just um, started getting into that, I think, in the last beta that I, that I tried. It seemed pretty similar to some of the other... Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings Online and World of Warcraft and things like that. It was very similar to Vanguard, actually. It was ex the, okay. the crafting, the crafting that they do um, here on Rift is very similar to Vanguard, and I think part of the reason is because, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of the EverQuest developers um, that are now working on Rift actually worked on Vanguard as well, and then I guess moved off of Vanguard or have you know me, exposed some of those ideas. Um, let me let me they, jump in there. Let me jump in there for a moment. Sure. Um, there was originally there was EverQuest, and then there was a schism within the design and development and art groups as far as what the next direction um, for EverQuest to go in. And one group went off and uh, wanted to redo EverQuest. And that's where EverQuest Two came out reintroduce the content with new technology in new formats would basically make EverQuest with a new life. The other people wanted something new because they had learned stuff from EverQuest and wanted to apply it to, if not a new intellectual property, something that would be fresh. And that group went off and formed uh, Vanguard. Vanguard has not had a good uh, uh, life as far as an MMO. They had a lot of issues at launch, but they're still going. Right now, this group of people from Sony that's doing Rifts, this is in large essence the re-amalgamation of stuff learned from Vanguard that the EverQuest 2 people refused to touch, and the stuff from Vanguard learned and is kind of melding back in. So this is really kind of like EverQuest 3. So these two factions are kind of come together to create this game? It's like something you said a lot earlier too, uh, Seth, and, and that was that the fact that none of this stuff is, you know, reinventing the universe. It's just getting better at things you're learning and whether the direction that you go to make things better, you know, I mean, somebody could have a great idea and go left and somebody could have a great idea and go right. The point is, is that they're getting better at how we do crafting and gaming. They get, they're getting better at how we have the economies in games. How do we keep you know, the, the, the economies of scale with respect to, to um, gold and plat and value, exactly, thank you. Gold and plat and value and you know, how can we keep the farmers out of the game or at least you know, quell the amount of inflation that, what with pricing and, and different things like that. And, Everybody's every game that comes up does it just a little bit better than the last and and it's sort of building on top of you know lessons learned That's where we're at The only real negative that I see as far as is the rift right now um, I think in one hand they're being very smart and not saying that they're a wow killer I don't think there's such a thing as a wow killer. I think that there's an innovator title that is much more you know desirable but they are still trying to put their foot into um, WoW's pie by saying, you know, you're not Nazroth anymore. 
and that is some of the old Hallmark um, EverQuest haughtiness that came across. You know, they used to be the big boys on the block before Blizzard came along and started doing their thing. I think that Sony needs to realize that, you know, they can be the hot kids on the block again, but they don't need to target WoW because that sort of diminishes the work that they've done. They need to Well, they don't need to play dirty at this point. I mean, the timing is so perfect for them right now with the cataclysm and people being discontent and and other things like that. So it's really just an amazingly brilliant move on their part to be releasing right at this point. I mean, I don't think anything's going to make World of Warcraft go away, but I I do think it's nice to have that uh, monopoly kind of broken up a little bit. But Warhammer was one is is one of the most um, popular uh, intellectual properties out there. When they came out with an MMO, they were amazingly popular for about a month. I think that if Sony has learned their lessons of the past and these applications, and they have people like River and Eram who are excited about this game and people, you know, they've been doing beta tests like crazy to put people in. I think then that that is going to speak a lot greater volume for an unknown intellectual property coming out and being one of those AAA titles versus Warhammer, which sort of just relied on the name Warhammer. Well, let me, let me, let me agree with you there and say something too, to add, because I took the opportunity of pre-ordering Rift, and so I'm in the. Um, I was in the beta tests, and I uh, got a chance to. We were offered a chance to pre-order, and we are all allowed. Those of us that were um, in the beta and bought the the pre-order are all allowed to play for these two weeks before they actually launch the game live to the general public on on the first of March. And I'll tell you, we went live, and they had on the 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 day they went live, uh, Tuesday, I believe the twenty first or something like that, um, or sorry, the, the 24th, sorry, Thursday, the 24th, they actually had over 1 million people create accounts on that day. And, um, they had folks literally, um, storming the login servers and people were on the games. And I'll tell you what game, uh, performance was not distraught at all because they added servers. They were ready. They were prepared, and the first day they must have added about 50 additional servers so that other people could get online and people could be playing. Now, obviously, they're probably virtualized servers because you couldn't add that many servers with that much hardware that quickly. Mm-hmm. But they were prepared with images and they just flipped the images. Now, think about this virtualization technology was not available back in the day we were playing EQ or WoW or even Vanguard so much. I mean, those this virtualization has just gotten really great within the last maybe five or so years. And so... Thank you, Eve Online. Right. And so, you know, I mean, the, the, the great thing about Rift is you did not see a performance hit. And I, I, was, I was expressing this, I think, to um, a couple of folks earlier this week, saying that this is probably the very first game that I've ever played from day one where it wasn't lagging where the game didn't just stop for 20 minutes at a time and you just stood there with your entire <laughs> sort of internet connection locked up. No, seriously. Yes. Well, I mean, this, I've never seen a game that had as many beta tests as this did. I mean, it was what, like four or five beta tests? They were serious about it. They were very, very serious and they planned hard for this game. I mean, you can tell the quality of the game is unbelievable. And this this comes from, you know, a person, I mean, you're speaking to me, I've been gaming now for over 25 years and I was playing games on AOL when we were at, you know, um, <laughs> I hate to say this because I'm dating myself, but you know, I mean, 1200 baud, 2400 baud dial up. <laughs> I mean, I know what it is to sit and wait for 25 minutes while something catches up. Yeah. You know, and so here we are at, you know, broadband speed and, you know, this magic. So, and well. for, for perspective's sake, back in EverQuest, when they'd add a server, it was at least a three-day real physical downtime of all the game because they had to copy, you know, all the, the game mechanics onto the server and then That's bring the exactly server up and right. test it. And it used to be physically three days, and it was a big thing. And they used to do it, like, once a month. Yeah, it was grueling. They, yeah. Well, I definitely think uh, 
that it's going to be a popular game and that it's going to give a lot of other games kind of a run for their money and, and I'm glad uh, to see so. I mean, it's nice. It seems like a lot of the original EQ people are very loyal and this is kind of a way for them to get back some of that uh, thrill that they had so long ago with the original. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I highly recommend it. You know, WoW is a great game for, for what it is. I think Blizzard is a fantastic software development company. I mean, their games, you know, from Diablo, which is has to be my all-time number one favorite hack-and-slash PC game. <laughs> you know, and I cannot wait. i got to put a plug in here for Diablo 3. cannot wait for that to come out because that's just going to be fantastic. At least that's my, my hope and my desire because most of the Blizzard games are, are delayed, but they're delayed because they're, again, done well and they, they come out with um, really good stuff. But, um, you know, try it. Try Rift if you get the opportunity. Um, and if you can afford it, you can do it. I highly recommend it. It's a different style of gameplay in terms of um, community, in terms of grouping, in terms of relationships, um, with respect to um, guilds, with respect to just meeting people online. I mean, while I was in the beta, I met a group of people just from being able to get into a public uh, raid, and now I'm a member of their guild, one of the founding members of their guild here. And it's, um, yeah, it's great. I really enjoy it. It's, it's a completely different world. Iram, just because I'm nice, uh, I may let you say one little thing about World of Warcraft, because um, I know you play on that opposite side that I play on uh, with your ugly <laughs> tunes and your, you know, clunky weapons, but if you'd like to say something about that, you, you're welcome to do so. I uh, know that's fine. Everybody's got their emo side or something like that. That's cool, but, you know, just remember, for the horde. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you being here. I should mention that I've changed the podcast cover, so if the listeners are reaching me through iTunes, you might be surprised to see something different there. It is the same podcast, however. I kept the blue border to have some familiar bits for you. I'm also in the process of creating a web page at Genesee.com, so it won't be as difficult to jump from the host site to the discussion area, so keep on the lookout for that. I'm also still looking for brave souls to do a show with me about Lord of the Rings Online in the next few weeks. So, speak up if you'd like to participate. And as usual, please visit the Facebook page, The Gray Area, to add to this week's discussion, and to send me your relationship questions that you might need some advice about. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.